You can have a seat. It's uh, one of the reasons we do a gathering once a month, so you can keep doing this for a long time. But that's at 5 o'clock. How's that? Well, indeed, good morning. It's uh, great to have you in the house of the Lord today. My name is Carrie. You did not come to meet with me. You came to meet with God. And for that reason, let's pray. Lord, in this sanctuary, place we call main venue, but it's a sanctuary because sanctuary means set apart for you. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that uh, we would enter not just physically into the sanctuary, a place set apart for you this morning, but that we would enter spiritually into that place. And as surely as we've worshipped and we've declared your freedom and your reckless love, we acknowledge to you our need this morning as people. You sustain us. You give us the very breath that we breathed when we woke up this morning. And I pray across this room, God, that you would enable, that you would enable us to be able to hear from you. Lord, take your word, take my words, and use them. But Lord, we need to hear from your spirit. There's needs represented across this room that only you know about. There are highs and lows, joys, celebrations that have happened this week that are about to happen. There are also the lows of anguish, discouragement, uncertainty, maybe even pain or suffering. You know those needs, and you, through your spirit, are able to minister. So we're grateful to be able to come to the sanctuary, a place set apart for you to work spiritually in our lives and in all areas of our life, to hear from you, from your word. And Lord, I now pray that's not only true for us as individuals in this room, but I now pray for us corporately as a church family, whether new this morning or a long time around here, I pray, God, that we as a people, as a community, a church family would hear from you and that we would be encouraged in this season of our life and ministry at the beginning of 2020. So, Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I got a question for you. Why are you here? I'm not talking about why did you come to this service. I know we just sang about that, prayed about it, to worship God and be in his presence. But why are you here in Marietta, in the Temecula Valley? Why, why are you here? Do you ever wake up some mornings, or maybe it's during the course of the week, or you're stuck in the commuter drive time going south or north, and you're going, why am I here? Why am I stuck in this traffic, or why am I uh, amidst all this around me? And so you have an answer for that, I'm sure. Maybe you were born here. Maybe your parents moved you here. 
Maybe you were wanting to get cheaper housing, so you thought, and so you moved here. Maybe because some friends or some other relatives, maybe there was a job-related situation. Maybe you like the beauty of the Temecula Valley with the valley, and, and especially this time of year when there's snow cap on the mountains and that kind of thing. Maybe you want to get out of the smog of the L.A. Basin. I don't know. Maybe you uh, just, I, I don't know why. Why are you here? Every one of us have an answer to that. Why are we here in the valley? I think I left my little clicker over there. And we have a need to define an answer, thank you, Mike, to that. Because I believe that you are here in this valley for a reason, and I want you to discover it. And not only for you as an individual or for your family, but for us to discover it as a church family. We've been the last couple of weeks talking about, hey, new decade, 2020, you know, sort of cool thing, 2020 vision kind of thing. But it's not our vision, it's his vision. And what is his vision in our life and his vision for us as a church? I want to talk today about his vision for our valley. You see, there's a lot of people that live in this valley. That's not the way the valley looked 50 years ago. Are you aware of that? You know, it's interesting when I ask people, and I just ask a new set of people today, you know, where are you from, where you live around here, that kind of thing. And I never get somebody saying to me, well, it goes back to my great, great grandpa. It doesn't happen here. You know why? Because this valley is rather new. If you go back a couple hundred years ago, it was, you know, run over by uh, other people than us, the Native Americans, the Luceno and uh, uh, other Indians that were a part of this Southern California area. And then there was the Mexican-American War and other things started to change the culture. And then the, uh, the uh, missions came in with the Franciscan uh, uh, liturgy and the personnel and they set up missions and and it was rather calm in this particular valley it was full of a, a lot of ranching cattle ranching there was the need to you know just be laid back kaiser actually at one time owned eighty-seven thousand acres in this valley they had bought it from walter vale you hear names around this valley. There's a reason. There's some history behind those names. But something happened when uh, Walter Vale let go of his vast acreage, and others did. Engineers and earth-moving machines started to move in. Really, it was in the late 60s and early 70s that this valley began to change. When I first came here, they said the first stoplight didn't happen until 1974. I'm like, you kidding me? 84. 84. So maybe that's even later than I thought. But I don't catch any of you going, yeah, my great-great-grandparents. We're all sort of moved here from somewhere. So I got a question, why are you here? I mean, we are spinning on this terrestrial ball and universe, and you can move anywhere on the globe. You're free to do that. Yeah, there's money issues and other things, but why are you here in the Temecula Valley when you could be elsewhere? 
And some of you say, well, that's a good question, Pastor, because I've been thinking about that, and I'm planning on moving to Idaho or Texas. I hear you, man, this exit out of Southern California, right? A little bit of craziness with the taxes or, you know, other kinds of laws that are changing or not changing, that kind of thing, and, and some of the, the numbers of people, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not content in this valley. Maybe you are content in this valley. Maybe you're thinking about hanging on for generations to come. Maybe you're thinking about moving out. Why are you here in the Temecula Valley? It was six and a half years ago that I moved my family here. I didn't know why God was having me move here. Other that, other than there was a prompting of his spirit that this was the right thing to do. As many of you know, I come from the Midwest, from Indiana, and so I'm used to those kinds of long, flat cornfields and grew up on a farm. I did my graduate studies on the East Coast, and I came back, and I thrived in a ministry that my wife and I started for 20 years. Things happened in that ministry that caused us to relook and change, ended up resigning. Took a year away from ministry. God, where would you have me to go? I had a very good friend that oversees about 100 churches in Southern California here with the Christian Missionary Alliance, Bill Malik. Some of you know him. Bill gave me uh, an enticed call to say, hey, people need Jesus in the Temecula Valley. Would you be interested in coming and taking over this church? And so my wife and I came and we visited six and a half years ago and we made a decision prompted to the Lord that he was calling us to this valley because you and I are not here by chance. And you may be discontent. You may be thinking about the next season or the next step. But I want you for however, however long God has you here in this valley whether it's Marietta, Temecula, Wildemar, Lake Elsinore, Menifee, Hemet, it's all considered part of the Temecula Valley. For as long as he would have you here, I want to wake you up to his calling and his vision for you for this valley. I remember when I came and I, I, I met with the, the governing board at that time or the elders and and they shared with me and, and showed me around, and we prayed. We met with many uh, different people that are part of the church at that time. Some of you still here kind of deal. And, and uh, I was given some time to think about it. And I remember leaving that meeting. It was in Dan Allen's house with a group of good men. This church has always had good leaders gathered around me, trying to discern God's will if I should move to the valley, to rock the valley, as I would say then, to bring revival and renewal to this valley. And I remember leaving that meeting after I was prayed over with a deep sense that God was calling me and my family to this valley. And I had seen off in the distance the mountain range that goes up Santa Ana Mountains over, I knew that somewhere over that range of mountains there was the water. Didn't see it here. But I said, I'm going to go up there. 
So I remember taking off in my vehicle, and I drove to the top of the hill. I'm still confused what you call a hill and a mountain around here. People give me a hard time about that. But to me, from the flatlands, it was a mountain. Maybe it's just a hill. I drove to the top on Rancho California at that night. Do I need to take a handheld? I can. And this was my view. And I remember looking over. I'll grab it. I remember looking over this valley and God breaking my heart. You see, I'm a very dialed into place-based kind of ministry that God calls you to a place. And it's not by chance. You may think you got there by chance or your own decisions, but he's called you to a place. And so when this stirring was in my heart that he was calling me and my family to this valley, I just sort of lost it. I lost it not only in my inner spirit of uh, weeping and just God give me a heart for this valley, but I lost it because I knew what it was doing in a moment in time in my church, in my family tree. Melissa's mom's here today from Indiana, and she's been staying with us, and she knows this was a big decision. It was a big, big decision for me because I knew I was moving my family from roots. I knew it would change the trajectory of my family into the future. And there's a lot of druthers we'd all have, and part of me is like, I'd just rather not, at the age of, at that time, 52, get plopped into a whole new world of people that I, I know no one. But standing on top of the hill, I began to feel at home because God said, this is your mission field. This is a place I'm calling you to. I called up my oldest son, who at the time was uh, studying at Azusa Pacific, up in Azusa by, uh, on the 210, and, and I said, I need you to meet me halfway. I, I got to talk to you. He was my only uh, connection at that time. After that meeting, my wife had gone back to Indiana, and I was just contemplating what God would have me to do. And I remember sitting in a Denny's restaurant with my oldest son, Ryan. He was really happy because God had called him to the mission field of Hollywood to be able to work in the cinematic world and uh, the media world. And, and so he said, Dad, it'd be great if you guys moved here. Then you'd be closer to where God's called me. But I'm like, this is a big step. And as I was looking over this valley, my heart began to reflect on a passage of scripture that I remember our Lord Jesus stating. Because it wasn't the Temecula Valley that he was overlooking when he was here on the earth for 33 years. He was looking at this view in Jerusalem. And he had made his way to Jerusalem from the north part of Israel. And as he looked upon Jerusalem... There's different places where it talks about his heart as he viewed that valley. Now, Jerusalem, if you've been there, there's a valley in front of it on all sides of it. But Jerusalem truly is a city on the hill. And so when Jesus came into Jerusalem as he was nearing the time of his um, obedience to Christ, to the cross, we find these words in Luke 19.41, where he weeps over Jerusalem. 
But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. And if you go on and look at that passage of scripture, he goes on and talks just briefly about how there's going to be destruction that comes. And the reason some of this is going to happen to the city of Jerusalem is because they did not recognize the time of the Lord's appearing with him. There was indifference to it. There's another place where it's mentioned about his heart for Jerusalem as he looked on it. In Matthew 23, 37, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. Now this is what catches me about Jesus as he's looking upon Jerusalem, just as surly as, you know, I had the opportunity to look upon Jerusalem to the Temecula Valley and continue to in these six and a half years, is he was a place-based kind of ministry person. He identified localities, and every locality had a uniqueness to it. And there was uniqueness that was happening in Jerusalem and how they were rejecting, as it mentions here, the prophets and God's messengers. And he was God's messenger. He was God himself, and he knew the rejection was coming his way. There was a reality that was setting before him that there was a people in a place, in a city that had issues. And they needed peace. They needed to be gathered and protected. But they were obstinate and they refused to. They refused to recognize God's appearing. And so he identifies with the body of people in a locality that need God. Question, do you identify with the people in this valley who need God? Or do you just see this valley as a place where you're setting up shop? But you got the house, you got the kids, you picked your neighborhood, you're picking your restaurants. It's a great place to live. I can go to wine country, I can head to the beach in an hour, an hour and a half. I can get up in the mountains and enjoy the snow. Great place to live. Or do you see this valley as a mission field where people need the Lord, where people need the peace of God? And this is why it's important. We try to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life by what we do for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. You tend to your own needs, you tend to your own family. You pave a way for your future. But if you spend all your time focused on what everything around you is for yourself, you will miss out on what God created you for. Because he created you to be in relationship with him, but to be in relationship with him, you're going to be on mission with him. And to be on mission with him means you are going to have a mission field. And so instead of being indifferent or oblivious or obstinate, embrace your mission field. Now, the mission field is huge. There's over 400,000 people in this valley, and the mission field can be daunting. People everywhere, more and more of them coming. There's 300 homes being built across from Washington Road where I live. 
I'm like, whoa, they're all going to scatter in there. And they're ruining my view of the foothills. I can't believe that because I have a really nice view out in my backyard. They're going to leave their lights on. This last week they broke ground for a new middle school just sort of right down the hill from me. And I'm like, oh, good. And I get all that noise from kids then, I guess. <laughs> right? That's how we sort of think. But I have to remind myself, those 300 Pulte homes that are going in across the road from me, of which they're expanding the road from a two-lane to a six-lane, which that tells you something right there, that's my mission field, part of my mission field. Those kids' noise that I'm going to hear down my little hill, out my backyard, and I finally got some pavers and some patio furniture this week, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting good. Don't mess with the noise, please, no noise. I don't want light pollution. I like dark and stars. When I hear the noise of the children, when I see the homes being built, I need to be reminded this is my mission field. Who am I called to be on mission for? And that's my encouragement to you because if you spend your whole life trying to make it just right for you, you will miss out on the greatest joy, and that is participating with Jesus and what he's still doing. Even after he ascended to the heavens, he said, I'm coming back. It's to your advantage. I go away. I'm going to send my spirit with you. When I send my spirit with you, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses. And guess what? You begin in your own Jerusalem, your own valley. What is his 2020 vision? For the valley, it begins by you looking at his 2020 vision for you. And that is that you and I need to become more fully alive in Christ and to his mission. We talked about it two weeks ago. We labored through it. We talked about these five different aspects. Scripture saturation, authoritative prayer, authentic community, generous giving, uncommon obedience. Things you place in your life because it's no... uh, The specifics of God's calling in your life are going to come from your experience with God through Jesus Christ. But you need to place yourself in line to hear His voice and receive His blessing. And those are disciplines that you were encouraged to do to be able to discover his 2020 vision for you. But not only did we look at what his 2020 vision is for me or for you, we talked about the need for us to look at what it is for the church. There's a guy that lives over those Santa Ana mountains. He's been there for quite a while. I met him when I first started my doctorate studies back in January of 1989. His name's Rick Warren. There's a pretty big church over there called Saddleback. A lot of campuses. But when I met him, he was taking a class, same class I was taking. We sat down. I share within my heart, my vision to see dead churches come to life. And he says, I appreciate that, Carrie. He says, but he ever thought about getting a group of people together, like-minded, and starting something from scratch because I found that it's easier to give birth than raise the dead. I took that word in January of 89, went back, got married. A couple years later, my wife and I started a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we were there for 20 years, starting something from scratch. And God blessed it, and it did very well, and it's continuing to do well to this day. I remember coming to this valley, God, what do you want me to do? And there was a strong 
nucleus, good church that started here, and my friend Bill asked me to consider taking it over, and the leaders of this church embraced me, and when I was on top of that hill, I knew that God was calling me here, divinely calling me here to this valley to, to lead this, and I knew that we would be going through some renewal. It wasn't that we were waking up. It wasn't that we were trying to raise the dead, but we were trying to bring renewal, and we've been on that journey as a church called the Awakening We renamed ourselves for that thing of becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. But I remember Rick Warren saying to me, not just that comment that uh, it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. Maybe you've heard him say this comment before, but he said, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. And so that's why last week we looked at some of the aspects of God's vision for the church because God's visions for the church does not change. We don't get a picket. And that's happened in some denominations and some church movements over the course of time. They get caught up in the hierarchy of other religious leaders and changes trying to adapt to culture and you need to be relevant to culture. But you do not get to pick our denominational leaders, do not get to pick other people that are in power positions, do not get to pick what the purpose of the church is. That's God's purpose. And so when you talk about a great commitment to the great commandment, it's referencing Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the great commandment. And then the great commission, Jesus spoke in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. He said, All authority in heaven on earth that has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That great commandment sums up the whole of Scriptures. The great commission sums up what Jesus left his disciples to do on this earth until he returns. And so a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission, I believe, does build a great church for his glory. But when we come back to circling around of what's our vision for 2020, it's his vision, not our vision, and we need to be on it. We need to be on those things. I care, I get tired of hearing those two verses. Uh, You probably will. Because if you were around Jesus and you were in his entourage and listening to him teach, he'd come back to these often too. Because we can get so scattered in our thinking about what our lives are caught up doing. But he brings us back and he says, this is what I want you to do. And so with the church and his calling upon us, we have defined our mission as people leading people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And last week we said that there's three values that come from those two main passages that we hang everything on that we do around here. Disciple making, not just making converts or people that are uh, chair sitters on a Sunday morning or people that we want disciples of Jesus, not of us. So disciple making, community building. You know, one of the big aspects that's a need in this valley, you know what it is? Connections. Because you can't say, I'm going to go to my great-grandpa's. and we're all, it, They're scattered. Sometimes maybe they've moved here because of you. You have to go on the other side of the hill or another part of Southern California, maybe another state. Maybe you have to fly somewhere. There's a disconnectedness that exists in this valley. And we need to be about community building. Not a social club, but rich, biblically functioning community at every turn. And then missional living. 
We need to be sent out and be able to serve the purposes of Christ. So there's the mission statement. There's the three values. And then last week, we jumped on this whole strategy thing, the other, the bottom side of this picture frame. The strategy, we said there's four things that we do real clean and clear around here. That everyday witness, Christ in you, working through you to reach others like you. You own it. You're on the mission field every day. Why are you here in this valley? Because of that coworker, because of that neighbor, because of that fellow peer in your classroom. God calls you to be an everyday witness, and he's going to work through you. Then there's the weekend gathering of worship here. A supportive community, catalytic teaching, engaging worship, believing prayer. We talked about that. And then we said, we want you involved in a weekly missional community life group or a study. And so those are in homes or maybe ones here at the church. And then we mentioned, as Joe said, this is tonight's our first gathering of 2020. It's our monthly gathering. And it's just a chance to come together and not just connect, but also encourage one another. And we're going to hear a little bit more next week about our vision and our heart to make our monthly thing sometimes a strategic outreach event. So his 2020 vision for the church, the mission, the values, the strategy. I want to talk about the measures. The measures, what are the measures? One person defines it this way. Mission measures are the attributes or characteristics of an individual's life that reflect the achievement of the mission. The measures answer the question, when are we successful? Measures are visualized as hitting the bullseye. Ideally, everything in the church is designed around hitting the same target. The mission measures are also called missional life marks. Think of them as your church's portrait of a disciple. It provides the standard by which the mission can be measured with respect to an individual's development through the ministry of the church. What are we trying to see happen as we are on mission? Well, to those who are desolate, disconnected, maybe you this morning. God has a desire for your life and it's to become fully alive in him. Jesus said what? John 10, 10. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Why? Because the adversary, Satan, comes to do what? Still kill and destroy. So we're entering a battle. The adversary wants to still kill and destroy your life. Jesus says, I want you to have life to the full. But what does it mean to have a life fully alive in Christ and to his mission? The measures will give indication of that. This last week, somebody gave my wife a verse from her life community group, the moms of special needs kids disabilities, not just kids, but adults, meets on Friday mornings here, back there in that corner in that prayer area. And uh, I hope she's okay with it, but uh, I think it was Amy that gave her this verse. And my wife showed me, she says, God's doing a good work, and my friend, she gave me this verse. And as I read this verse in Ephesians 1.17, which is familiar to me, 
it dawned on me that it's really talking about these measures that we're trying to see happen in all of our lives as disciples of Jesus and in the lives of other people we're working with. And it was written in Ephesians 1 by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. In fact, I could put a picture up here of Ephesus and overlooking it. My wife and I had an opportunity to be there a number of years ago, and you walk into this ancient city in Turkey, which was the hub of all the commerce and, and uh, material wealth even in the Mediterranean Sea. And, and Paul went there to establish a church of followers of Jesus Christ. And here he is writing a letter to those who are in Ephesus, a place-based ministry, a heart that he had for a city that he wept over, I'm sure. And he writes this letter and he pins this letter and he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. He's longing that the people in Ephesus would have a certain sustenance to their life that they don't currently have. And friends, if you knew anything about Ephesus of the day, it was a very, very worldly city. Very worldly. The temples to unknown gods and to sex gods and other kinds of things were going on and, and the prostitution and, and, and the like of sexual activity they had and the disregard for ultimate knowledge but having a sort of a fake earthly knowledge and some of the Greek influence and all that was going on there. Paul had a heart to see this city come alive in Christ and he took the gospel there and he began to communicate it and he longed for them. To make a turn. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray that the eyes of the Lord may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance and His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now we think of our riches. Do you realize that we are His riches? From that passage and others that I'll mention in a second, I want to give you five measures because we as a people, if we have a vision for the valley, we need to see people in the valley come alive and they would be defined by these five things. First is faith. Living the call together in close relationship with Christ. What's the call? On the back side of the sheet that you have inserted in your program this morning, it says that we are called by Jesus and we are called to Jesus. He wants us there. We called a few people this week to be a part of Levi's 21st birthday at our house. And they came. And we partied. Some of you Facebook people see some goofy pictures there. But we made the call. Hey, can you stop in? Can you stop by? We had, couldn't have a lot of people. We had a few. We made the call. We want you here. God is making a call to you. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to be in close proximity spiritually with him and one day eternally to be in his physical presence. 
So we're living the call together in community. But this is what faith is. And faith means that you're going from being spiritually flatlined to being spiritually alive. Something has to happen. It doesn't come by sitting in church. You've heard me say it before. You don't become a Christian anymore by sitting in church and become a Big Mac by sitting in McDonald's. You just don't. There has to be regeneration that happens, a change where you commit your life to be a follower of Jesus because he's calling you and you say, yes, forgive me my sins. I turn. I'm now going to try to follow him best I can as he enables me. That point of faith means you're acting on his calling and it's a calling you do together with others in relationship with him, just like the disciples did in those early days. So faith, do people have faith around you? Or are they just existing, trying to make it the best they can? Maybe they're very anti-God or anti-religion. Friends, it doesn't matter. Jesus still loves them, and there's a chance for them to become alive through faith. Measure number one. Measure number two is hope. Living with a view of eternity in the presence of Christ. Do you live with a view of eternity or are you trying to get everything out of these 70, 80 years here if God so blesses you? you got to live with the hope, the eternal hope, a view of eternity where our presence is with God. We have a valley full of people that need hope. And it's not just hope for eternity, it's hope in the present day. And you and I get to steward the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to steward that hope. So faith is one measure. As the person full of faith, two is the person filled with hope. The third is love, living out loud in obedience to the commands of Christ. I phrase it this way because love can, oh, I love them. I care for them. Well, show it. Do something, living out loud to the commands of Christ means action, not just an attitude or a disposition towards other people. So do we see love really happening from one group or one individual to another, from one uh, set of, uh, of relationships to another set of relationships? Faith, hope, love, truth. Learning to live all things, learning, living to learn all things related to depth in Christ. That we would find ourselves and other individuals growing in deep knowledge. I'm always amazed, and you're probably going to say, Carrie, you've got a judgmental problem, and maybe I do. I'm amazed by how seemingly intelligent people with multiple degrees and multiple positions can be so ignorant. Is that being hard? You know, ignoramuses. It comes from the word ignorant. And you're like, have you not thought through this before? Big picture. Now, I'm not saying that I know everything and I don't have my ignoramus moments, but I'm passionate. My wife will give credence to that. I am passionate to know things and to know depth and breadth and understanding to use what God's placed on top of my shoulders, my mind to comprehend and to understand, to step back. And I know in part, Scripture says that I know in part and one day I will fully know, but to the degree that I can know in part, I want to learn truth. And our world is not interested in pursuing 
truth, right? We're watching something on television this week in our political world, which is very difficult. And it gets very confusing sometimes. What's true? What's not true? What's hearsay? Or what's fake news? Or something like this. And, and it's just a blur. And you just get tired of it. And you say, oh, forget it, whatever. And you just go on into your own little world. We have a culture, is what I'm saying, that has a hard time with truth. Because sometimes, and I'm not talking about the political situation this week, I'm talking about truth that's hard to hear for us personally in our own life. There is a truth. There's a truth that there is a God who exists and He loves you and He desires to be in relationship with you, but the God who exists also is a God who is a just God. Because heaven will not be heaven if there isn't justice. And so as a just God, he has to come out and weigh things in our world. What's right, what's not right. It's appointed to man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Oh, that sounds so harsh. I can't believe in a God like that. Well, the judgment has to do with justice. He's going to just bring justice. And we're all going to finally go, finally, all things are made right. Somebody that knows, that knows, that knows all things is going to establish all things right. And so you relish in his justice. But that's an aspect of truth. Our valley needs truth. Your coworker needs truth. Your neighbor needs truth. And the truth is found in God's word and knowing Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we have to do with what's our measure, I want somebody, I want somebody that I influence in this valley to be able to uh, have faith to be able to have hope, to be able to have genuine love and action. And I want them to have a hunger for truth. Not in a judgmental way, but in a freedom way. We sang about freedom this morning. Well, freedom is found in the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want there to be a hunger for that amongst us as a people in our valley. And I get to, I get to offer it. And then the last measure is this, power. Living by the Spirit to forward the full gospel of Christ. I don't want people to be wimps. I don't want them, yes, we have our humanness and our brokenness, but I want them to be fully alive in Christ and to His mission by the power of the Spirit. Something transcendent. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send my Spirit to you. Well, His Spirit is one of knowledge and wisdom, convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, but the Spirit of God is power for life. And so when you and I are out there trying to be on mission to encourage people, you see people hump-shouldered, discouraged, talking about woes. Friends, we're human beings. We live in broken bodies. We age. They start to break down. We're up against things that do cause us to have tendencies to depression and discouragement and people wrong us. I understand all these things. But we as believers should be walking in the power of the Spirit And our measure concerning success of being on mission is are we raising up other people in this valley who have power to live for Christ and forward the full gospel that's found in this word? What are we shooting for? Nice little mission statement, Carrie, fully alive in Christ and to his mission. What's that mean? Well, it means that we're going to find people Pressing forward in those five areas. Faith, living the call, hope, living with a view, 
Love, living out loud. Truth, living to learn. And power, living by the Spirit. Those are the measures. And we need to be on it. You need to be on it. Because our world is in desperate need and hungry for the real thing. So whether you're in the Temecula Valley, whether you're moving to Texas, some friends back here moving to Tennessee, place-based ministry, be on mission, be alive in him, and carry forward his ministry to a lost world. And we're going to do it together, not just as individuals. Jesus sent his disciples out, not as lone rangers, twos and threes and in community. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 backs it up. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. John 8, 31. If you hold on to my teaching, Jesus says, you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These scriptures point to those measures, measures that we need for seeing people, leading people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. I want you to watch this video clip it's a three four minute clip and we'll close with this this is from a documentary i showed you the first part of it last week a documentary that francis chan who ministered up here in north of van nuys area he grew a large church and then he left that church because he felt something was not quite right And he's wrestled with it through the years and he went over to Africa and he came back as a family, a large family. And then he started a different kind of church in San Francisco. And recently he's made a decision to to leave that house church movement in San Francisco and he's moving his family uh, overseas, I believe to Hong Kong, to be on mission. You need to know this. We as pastors wrestle with what we do as a church. Because I don't want to play church. I want to rock the valley. But the only way that we're able to rock the valley is by each of us owning the mission through the power of Christ and taking it on. So we're going to watch this video. And after that, we're going to close with a song that we sang earlier. And your program is a insert that we had last week. Many of you filled it out. It's our participating membership covenant. It's placed in there again for you this week in case you thought about it last week and you wanted to make the decision on it now and you still keep thinking about it. Many of you are new, decided to cross that line, and it sort of explains what it really means to be a participating member. And I'm not going to go back into that. You can listen to what we shared on last week. But sometimes there's a defining moment that needs to come in your life where you step out of the vague clouds of your good intentions and you say, I'm in. I'm in with Jesus. I'm in with this body. I'm in to forward the kingdom of God. 
And if you feel led to fill that out this morning and place that in, even if you're a regular member, it's a recommitment kind of thing, fill it out, place it in the offering. Just as a defining moment again to say, I'm a part of a body that wants to be on mission. People leading people to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. But I mentioned Francis Chan because we wrestle as pastors trying to get everybody on mission and be involved in a church. You know, most of the time, the measures of a church are not, are there more and more people filled with faith, hope, love, truth, and power? We think, well, what was our attendance on Sunday morning? What was the offering like? How many square feet's in your building? Those are not the wins on the scoreboard with Jesus. The wins on the scoreboard with Jesus are people who are becoming disciples of him. But it takes every one of us to be on mission to do that in this valley. And though we've got a nice location here, and we'll celebrate our one-year anniversary in this building next month, and free In-N-Out burgers again. Yeah! Yeah! The Lord's looking at something else. He's looking at those measures in your own life and those measures in the life of the people that we're trying to influence. Francis Chan's church in San Francisco, they decentralized a lot. When we say you want to be in a missional life group, it's because we've got to decentralize. Our gatherings here on Sunday are great, but we need to be on mission together. Watch this video of a community that's trying to press out and reach their city. And if you thought this Temecula Valley has its issues, why don't you try to do ministry in San Francisco? Let's watch this, and then I'm going to have Joe just simply come. We're going to close with reckless love and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Endear your heart to these people. When we're thinking about mission and we're thinking about bringing Jesus um, and Jesus' love to people, it's not this sort of theoretical thing like, all right, I want to love the world. Um, but there are 20 houses here. Like, that will be our mission field. We're going to try to love this block as well as we can. The mandate was just really clear. This house is for the Lord. It's for community. It's for neighbors. It's for welcoming people in. We're not just a community just to be a community, but we are gathering in the name of Jesus, for the name of Jesus, to live this thing called church out daily. This is where we do actually do the house church. So people will be, will be sitting around here. So this building, uh, the people that are in it are pre pretty much um, high-tech professionals. So that's what we're trying to do, is try to um, outreach specifically to the building here. We committed to having uh, a monthly sort of neighborhood barbecue. We invited everyone from, from these 20 houses out to have lunch with us and then start building relationships where we could go back and check in with folks and, and, and knock on their doors and see if there was something that we could um, help with, something we could pray for, or other ways that we could support and love them. And so, yeah, this is not my thing. I'm not a natural hostess. I would much rather in my flesh just have dinners, just our immediate nuclear family. In my flesh, I would not like to clean up after people. And over the years, I think, as we've been part of We Are Church, 
experiencing it and seeing it in so many of the commandments, it's not you singular. It's to rejoice always, to be generous, to not have greed, um, to love your neighbor as yourself. All those things you can only really practice in community. And so when I came to embrace that, it became this more meaningful communal walk together. To just simply in unity, walking out of our safe house, safe place, going into um, our neighborhood and uh, the intersections and the cities and the coffee shops and talking to the people that live amongst us and work in our neighborhood and, you know, pray for them and get to know them. So all of the growth in our church since we arrived here has come from people who are in our neighborhood on this block. It's been a real joy for us to, to come and encounter that and, and find people who are not just willing to join us for a service, but actually be a part of our family, um, who are a part of the body of the church that we have here. And increasingly, we see as indispensable. It's just this fellowship is going on, and I'm not pushing it. And I felt like with the old model, people aren't going to reach out unless you create a program for them to do it. People aren't going to fellowship with each other unless you create some program for that. People aren't going to get together and pray unless you schedule it for them. Uh, people won't take communion unless you, you know, get all the elements and everything figured out. And now it's just this thing where people are sharing their faith every day. It's just happening. It's natural. They can't help it. Um, they don't need No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, you're coming after me. Snow you won't kick down, lie you won't take down, you're coming after me. Snow shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, you're coming after me. Climb 